0: There are different kinds of anointings and manifestations of God's presence that he wants us to experience. And he wants us to get familiar with, uh, how many of you know, sometimes God moves in what we could term a healing anointing. Have you ever been in a meeting where there's a healing anointing and people just get healed? Um, And, uh, it, it, you know, he healing seems easier to get when there's that kind of anointing and manifestation, people who maybe struggle, um, sorry, I don't want to turn my back on you. I'll try to, I'm actually going to move this one a little bit, put that there and then I'll, but you know, the, the, when there's a healing in a place, um, people receive from that but you know what healing anointing is not the only anointing there is there's the bible you know the move of the holy spirit's like a river and there's the river goes in different directions we know this don't we uh but you know there can be an anointing of joy you know, the bible even talks about joy in terms of oil and and and, and is it Isaiah? What is that prophecy where it talks about the, the oil of joy or something like that I think it's Isaiah somewhere and there's an anointing of that you know that that people get set free in that kind of thing uh people that's not just a put on thing something that you just put on and make yourself happy sometimes you, people got to step out in, in in faith in some areas do you know that that, that sometimes you see faith can do in our lives What sometimes the anointing manifesting can also do. There's two different ways. Sometimes God brings an anointing in and does some things, but also He wants us to live by faith. And very often our faith can connect into those anointings when those anointings are not in specific manifestation. Do you see that? Do you understand the two differences? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will move into a meeting with a healing anointing. And and he initiates that. He comes in in that way. But, but a lot of Christians, if they're not in that kind of environment where God brings in a healing anointing, they don't know how to get healed. But God has also given us a means whereby we can initiate healing with our faith. And our faith can come into contact with his anointing and his presence, which maybe is not specifically manifest at that time for healing. But your faith can do Do you know that in the Gospels, Jesus went to some people and some people came to him? You see, he went to the man by the pool. The woman with the issue of blood came to him. And that's a subtle difference, but it's actually a really powerful one. Because the ones who came to him, you'll see faith is often highlighted as as what was involved. And faith made a connection in with his power, which was available. But there were other times Jesus initiated it in someone's life. See, there's two different ways. And the body of Christ as a whole is still very unfamiliar with these two different ways. Uh, Most of them don't want to know about the one where we can activate some things. They're just waiting for God to activate some things. And, and and there's many people that are waiting for God to just divinely move in a way, but 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 not recognizing that, that that our faith can reach up and do some things. And God, I believe God wants us to learn how to flow in both. Do you realize that? When the Spirit of God moves with a specific, divine-led anointing, where God just comes in in a way, we go with it. We jump with the flow. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And we flow with that, but but what if God's not moving in a specific way? Does that mean no one can get touched? No, we teach the word, and, and 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 we can get people strengthened in faith, and people can learn how to activate their faith, and 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 we should be flowing in both. Amen. Not just waiting for. When God just divinely does does it. I I believe one of the things God is waiting for is for us to step up to a level where we are flowing in both of these areas. We flow with him when he moves, but we also know how to activate his power by walking in the word and the truths of the word when there isn't a specific flow or move. Do you see that? And this doesn't just apply for receiving healing or anything. This might apply in the terms of even the manifestation of God in terms of revival. Some things that that, that our faith can be in operation in some areas. And praise God when there's some specific manifestations. But the large portions of the body of Christ only know how these things work when God just divinely does it. That's one of the methods. We need to understand both in all areas. And I think there's more we need to see about this. But but the point I was trying to make a moment ago, now, the, this is going to lead into what I'm talking about, because I actually do, do want to talk about some things about the anointing in terms of the curse, because we're still talking about the curse in, in what I'm teaching today, the curse and the blessing. And I'll get to that in a moment. But you understand there's different anointings. Sometimes the Spirit of God moves in the area of healing, like I said. And and when he's moving in a particular way, when he initiates it, then we jump in and we flow with that way. If it's, a, if it's an anointing of peace, then we jump in and we flow with that particular way. There are there are there are different flows and moves of that anointing that we want to learn and understand how to flow with. But what do we do when there's when when, when there isn't a specific anointing? Well, that's when we walk by faith. Amen when we walk by faith and 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 we keep both of these different things going in our lives now let's let's go to galatians 3 why do i keep going on the same text and why am i well for a start because one thing is 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 teaching is one of the things i do and teachers like to dig into something and get every angle of it yeah And it's not just about you learning the verse, but it's about beginning to explore the different angles that this verse is is highlighting. And and there's more, how many of you understand there's more in here that you haven't seen yet, or maybe you've had a glimpse of, but you can see more about there's more in here. I'm telling you, there's more even in these verses that we've read that we haven't seen the fullness of. And there's other angles to add in. So this is why we're dwelling on this. Um, And one of the, why I'm dwelling on this is because I want you guys to begin to realize the, the significance and the importance of the truth revealed in this passage, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse and, and the blessing of Abraham has come upon us. This is not, the more I look at this, I want you guys to, I'm trusting the you, you are. I think in the past we've treated this verse as it's as if it's one of the many truths of what Jesus did for me, and one of the many truths of the in Christ truths. So there's, there's Christ has redeemed me. Well, praise God. Well, I know that one now. Let's go on to the next one. And He's delivered for me from the power of darkness. Ooh, I know that one now. Let's go on to the next one. We're a son of God. I'm a child of God. I got that. And we go through the different truths, but actually. The more I'm looking at this, and the more you study this in the Word, you realize this is actually one of the central truths that many of the other truths are connected to in some way. There's more to this whole truth of being redeemed from the curse and walking in the blessing than we've realized. And I think the enemy's wanted us to be a bit blinded by it because he he doesn't want us really stepping into the the fullness of the reality. How many of you have ever felt like you are... uh, have you ever had a point in your life, and maybe someone's, someone's even still at this stage now, where it seems like you're chasing seven or eight or nine or 10 different fires at the same time? Anyone ever had that? It's like the enemy attacks your health, then he attacks your finances, and then he attacks your family, and then he attacks this way. Yeah? So anyway, I mean, we're all super spiritual, you know? Oh, no, that's never happened to me. Anyone ever felt like fires are coming from multiple directions? And And how many of you know sometimes... You don't know which one to deal with next, and you're trying to deal with all of them, and it can almost be overwhelming because you're trying to. You're thinking to yourself, "I need to get, I need to meditate scriptures and get my faith strong and healing scriptures." And then, and then suddenly, the enemy hits your finances. You, oh, I haven't been meditating on finance scriptures, and and it becomes very almost like, like 101 things I got to do, and you and, and like, how do I do this, Lord? How do I cope? And then someone tells you, "Yeah, you need to walk in your authority in Christ," and you think, "Oh man." I need to meditate on authority scriptures. I need to get myself strong on authority in Christ, and and you know, and, oh, I'm not walking in my authority, you know. And it, and sometimes it almost feels like there's too much, too many things to keep on top of at once. Anyone ever felt that? And <laughs> and 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 the moment you try and grow strong in one area, the devil seems to attack another area. This is interesting. I believe in meditating on the word. I believe in growing in the word. I believe in getting stronger in the word, but it can almost feel like to some degree works, and to some degree chasing your tail. Yeah. And I know many Christians that have said that. I felt that in my own life. I felt it like you're trying to believe God, you're trying to grow strong in an area, and it seems like the enemy attacks another area. What you, what I've begun to realize is this. Attacks on your body, attacks on your finances, attacks on your you know, family, attacks on different things. They may seem like 16 different areas, but they all come back to a root cause, the curse. You're you're not dealing with 16 battles, you're dealing with one. This is what we've not seen. This is why Deuteronomy 28, when it explains the curse, it shows the curse in terms of the enemy attacking you, the curse in terms of your sickness in your body, the curse in terms of protection, the curse in terms of of other areas. This is why this truth is more important than we've realized. You know, trying to put out sick, the enemy attacking in your health, the enemy attacking your finances, the enemy attacking in your in your in your family, are all manifestations of the same root cause. The curse that was unleashed on the planet. And the Bible. This is why I'm trying to get you to recognize the curse in different areas. Very often, when we read the Bible. We don't always recognize the curse for what it is because we've not become familiar enough with passages like Deuteronomy 28, where God in detail identifies how the curse shows up. For example, did he not say, I'm going to talk a bit more about the curse today than the blessing. Okay. We'll talk about more about the blessing on some other ones, but there's some things I want you to see today about the curse. Not because I want to become curse-minded, but we can get more freedom than than many of us have been walking in. Okay? Walk in more freedom in this. But I want us to start making connections and recognizing, build my faith stronger in this. The blessing itself, when you talk about the curse, it manifests in multiple areas, but the blessing covers multiple areas too. For example, I know this is one of your favorite scriptures. Second Chronicles 7, where it talked about if my people will humble themselves and it's been quoted in a lot of prayer. Do you remember without reading it? You might, I'm sure you do, because you've read it many times in pre-meetings, what it says in the verses just before that. Okay. I've got it written down just for you. You'll recognize it as soon as I read it. You go, oh yeah, that's what it says. Uh, let me find it quickly. You don't have to turn to all of these, but but I want to give you some illustrations. This is when Solomon was dedicating the temple. Yes? When when this whole if my people if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. But actually, it it, it starts off. I'm gonna read this to you out of Chronicles of the Kings. It's the same prayer. You can look at it if you want to. Second Chronicles 7, and I'm gonna start in verse 12. It says, Then I'm gonna to go to quite a few different scriptures. I mean, you can look at them if you all if you want to, you're welcome to. I'll I'll, pull, I'll slow down because I see you all going into your Bibles. We've not recognized the curse in operation like we should have done. And it's because we've treated this truth about being Christ. Christ has redeemed me with one of the truth, one of the truths. When actually it's a central one that brings a lot of the others together. Same with the blessing there's protection from from storms in the blessing there's there, there, there's healing in the blessing there's all they all come under these same things okay second <clears throat> chronicles 77 you're all there now First 12 verse 12 13 and 14 then the lord appeared to solomon by night and said to him i have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice And notice the next phrase, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. This is a bit I was wondering if you remembered because you've quoted it a few times, Jackie. Shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Do you see there's three different things there? Forget about the God sending it and stuff. That's for another teaching. But I want you to see this. Shut up heaven and there's no rain. Command locusts to devour the land. That feels like a tap coming from two different directions, doesn't it? Or send pestilence among my people. Well, there's another thing there going on. Now, he doesn't mention the curse in this passage, but what is that? Do Do you realize everything he mentions there is identified in Deuteronomy 28 as the curse? He doesn't have to mention it as being the curse for it to be the curse. Do you realize that? He's already identified it all the way back in Deuteronomy. This is the curse. The, didn't he talk about the heavens will be hard. The locust will destroy the flute. fruit. flute. Well, maybe the flute as well, but the fruit. Okay. Do you remember? We looked at some of those verses, didn't they? So he, when he lists these things as going on, in your mind, you need to be in. That's the curse manifesting right there. And in fact, we t- it's the same. I think it's the exact same passage, but Kings, 1 Kings 8, expands it a little bit. Let's, in fact, let's look at it. 1 Kings 8, verse 35. Oh, are you comfortable there now, Otis? <laughs> 1 Kings 8, verse 35. When the heaven shuts up and there is no rain. What's that? Curse manifesting. Because they have sinned against you. When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them. Don't worry about the you afflict them. Just that's not the primary thing. Um, It goes on and says, but verse jump down to verse 37. When there is famine in the land. Pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grass, when he besieges them in the land of their cities. Do you see multiple things happening here? What's the root cause behind the multiple things? Well, okay, but we know for for them in the Old Testament, when they didn't obey the law, what happened? The curse got unleashed. And the curse then shows up in multiple directions. So you feel like you've got enemies attacking here, pestilence here, locusts here, no rain from heaven here. And you, you, you end up feeling like you're chasing 15 battles. What do you need to do? Zero in and realize there's one root cause going on here. The curse is an operation. Okay? This idea of multiple things coming at you from once is part of the strategy that the enemy tries to use to get you overwhelmed. And then you think, I've got to get my faith, my faith stronger for healing. Oh, no, I oh, no, my finances. Oh, oh, oh I, I don't have time. I'm trying to deal with healing. Now I've got to get my, now I've got to get my finances strong. And, 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 then, and then he hits you in another area. Oh, no, 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 my family. Oh, no, no, oh my kids oh, in another area. Oh, no, and I need to learn how to use my authority, and we get so overwhelmed. Anyone ever felt like that? One root cause going on behind all of this. Identify the cause, get get, get on top of that. Learn how to get something' functioning in your life. Then you're not running around chasing your tail. And and this is what I want you to see. There's other places. Let me show you another one. Haggai. We might study these. This is still not the primary purpose. In fact, it's probably better that we did a bit work today because I've got a bit more to get through in the teaching. Is that right? I haven't actually got to my primary thing I'm trying to get to today. But I want you to see this. This is why in Deuteronomy, he identifies all those different areas. The curse hits here, the curse hits here, the curse hits here. But it gets triggered for them under Deuteronomy. We understand for for us, it's faith in Christ. But under Deuteronomy and the Old Testament, he was saying to them, when you disobey, what happens? Basically, the curse is triggered and then it starts hitting from all different areas. Yeah. Look at Haggai chapter one, verse six. Actually, verse five. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, now, listen to the description. It doesn't mention curse, but listen to the description. You have sown much and bring in little. Doesn't that sound like what we read in Deuteronomy 28? Remember, he talked about you'll sow much and then the locusts will eat it. And then it'll all fall to the ground and, 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 and olives will take it up. And then the olives will be falling to the ground. Nothing will happen. Remember, we did that teaching. Putting in lots of effort, getting little results. So he says, You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who, who earns wages earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Now, does he have to say, Hey, everyone, I want you to realize I'm talking about a curse here. So every time I describe these conditions, I need to tell you it's a curse in operation. He doesn't have to. He's already identified to the entire nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 28. When these things happen, this is the curse in manifestation. So 300 years later, or 400 or whatever, when, he, when Solomon comes and he says, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, they should be thinking, that's the curse in manifestation. All the way later with Haggai, hundreds of years after that, it, it didn't suddenly stop being a curse. This is, the curse is working in these areas for them. Identify it. In fact, in Haggai, even, actually read verse 10. He could describe it a bit more. Haggai 1 verse 10, therefore the heavens above you withholds the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. What did he tell us all the way back in Genesis 1, remember with Cain, Cain was cursed. He says, you'll, you'll, you'll toil the ground because of the curse on you and the ground won't produce its fruit. So when the when the ground's not producing its fruit, we know the Bible's already identified that is a curse. Yeah. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain, on the new one, on the oil, and for, on whatever your ground brings forth, on men, and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. Again, he describes multiple different things. This is where a lot of Christians are at. They feel like they're running after trying to put multiple fires out. There's one root thing going on. Now, in fact, in Haggai, he doesn't mention the curse here. But look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 19. When God is talking to them about some of the solution, he does mention blessing. Haggai 2.19 says, is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. He didn't tell them it's a curse in this passage, but as part of the solution, he says the blessing. You see that? Now, this is all part of my my side, my 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 just my groundwork. Let's go back to Galatians 3. I want this is why I want us to begin to realize we're not dealing with 101 different attacks. We are dealing with one area. We're gonna obviously Christ has redeemed us. We're gonna get to that now. That is manifesting in fifteen to twenty different ways. Instead of chasing fires, let's realize the power and significance of Galatians 3: thirteen and 14. It's not this is not as difficult or complicated as we we've we, we, we thought it is. Like I'm trying to build my faith and grow and, and get on top of so many different areas, okay? Galatians 3 verse 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, do you realize that statement says a lot? Christ has redeemed us from the heavens being shut up and there no being no rain. Christ has redeemed us from sowing much and bringing in little. That's why there's a big statement. This, those few words there are a massive statement. Did he say sickness and disease is under the curse? Christ has redeemed us from sickness and disease. So all of that comes under that little statement, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. There's a lot in this. Build yourself, ground yourself in this. Let the word of God build this faith inside of you and keep yourself focused on this truth. Uh, And I believe we'll, we'll, we'll make some progress in some areas. But I want to. Uh, what I'm going to do today, I want to highlight. There's something specific on my heart, and it's. It, and this might take me a couple of weeks. We'll see. It might just take me one week. I never know. Sometimes. But there's something. There's something specific that I want to talk about. Now, it is true. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. And obviously, you know, with the Word of God, we want to build our faith on something. The Word builds faith. We want to, The Word of God teaches us speaking out of our mouths. So I believe it's. good. And it's not works. Faith is not works. The operation of faith, the power of our words, beginning to speak over my life. Father, I thank you. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. And Christ has redeemed me from every manifestation of that curse in every area of my life. And I thank you that the blessing has come upon me. I thank you that I'm walking in the blessing. This is a good thing to just include as part of part of your lifestyle. Talk blessing. Because, oh, I don't want to, that's all works. Do you realize the enemy has worked hard at getting people to speak curse? Because he knows how important this is. What do you think the word damn is? I'm not talking about the thing with water. I'm talking about the swear word. And I didn't just swear in church. I I want you to understand this. The word damn, you're damning something. You're damnation. And why do you think the enemy has built so much into human language, a connection between... I'm not going to say them together because I don't even want to do that as an illustration, but the word damn and the word God. Have you ever heard people put those two words together? What's the enemy trying to do? Now, why do we, as part of our worship, often say, bless the Lord? And the enemy is walking around trying to say God and damn in the same sentence. Is not, bless the Lord. He blesses us, but actually there's something else that the enemy's got going on here. Why does he want us to keep cursing God? Do you realize that one of the big issues, one of the big issues of the book of Job, is that the devil was trying to get Job to curse God. I haven't quite, there's a bit of this I'm still trying to meditate on, but I think the enemy thinks that if he can get a curse working in God, he can beat God. Exactly what he, what Balak tried to do to the children of Israel. I think the enemy's trying to use human authority to do that to God. Cause he knows he can't beat God unless there's a curse working on God and there never will be. So something in the enemy's mind is trying to curse God. It's never going to work. <laughs> uh, okay. But what did Job's wife say to him? Cur- Why don't you just forget? Curse God and die. What was he afraid of with his kids? I'm doing all these sacrifices because I'm afraid they're going to curse God. There's something going on there. The enemy's trying to, he, he, he wants these words in our, now, I don't want to focus on that. But when God starts to talk to us about getting blessing in our words, get, there's something important. There are spiritual things going on in motion here. Amen. It's important. This is why it's important. Don't don't just do it because you're being told to do it. Do it out of of revelation, the word of God building in your heart and beginning to take this scripture, meditate on it and begin to say, Father, I thank you. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. And, And it becomes part of your natural language. It's not a forced thing. Okay. I still haven't got where I'm trying to get. So it is true. Now, Where did and when did Christ redeem me from the curse of the law? I'm going to expand something here in a minute. In this verse, he highlights where on the cross become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So on the cross, Jesus paid the ultimate price of redemption and redeemed us from the curse. Now, by redeeming us from the curse, he redeemed us from everything that is of the curse. One act of setting us free from the curse set us free from everything that is a manifestation of the curse. And you can put your faith on that truth. But there's a bit more in here. how, How does verse 13 start? What does it say? Who has redeemed me? Jesus has redeemed me from the curse. Why does it say Christ? Jesus was Jesus is the Christ he's the, they're the same person he <laughs> everyone's trying to figure out in your head <clears throat> there's something the Bible's highlighting here Christ who most of us know this Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah we know this yeah does anyone not know this And the Hebrew word Messiah, it was used the high priest when they anointed them. All these kind of different, these variations of the thing. It was it, it, it was a it, it was a reference to the anointing or the anointed one. Specifically, the one in the Old Testament pointing to a specific person didn't who was going to be anointed by the Spirit of God. Yes, so. Many people have become familiar with Christ almost being Jesus' last name, but it's not. It's a title. If you look in the earlier part of the book of Acts, and even in Jesus' ministry, it, it's, it doesn't say Jesus Christ. It says the Christ. When, Peter, when Jesus said to, to, to his disciples, who do men say I am, Peter said to him, you are the Christ. Jesus didn't smile and go, "Oh, Peter, at last, you know my last name." No, could have nothing to do with his last name. It is a reference to the Christ, the anointing. Yeah. Now this verse could have said, "Jesus has redeemed us from the curse," because it is true that Jesus was the one who was hanging on the cross, and Jesus is the Christ. It could have said that, and that would have been a very powerful truth as well. But I believe that God used Christ in this verse because there's something bigger he wants us to see. On the cross was the ultimate redemption. But there is a connection between the destruction of the curse in someone's life and the anointing. Oh, throughout scripture, that connection's made. Do you realize that on the cross... The anointed one set the whole of humanity free. But during his life on the earth, the anointed one also broke the curse in people's lives everywhere he went. From the moment the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, when he was healing people, what was he doing? That was destroying, what what in him was destroying that curse in people's lives? as he walked this earth, that was the anointing, that was the anointing, that was the anointing in manifestation. And then on the cross, he paid the ultimate price and redeemed everybody. But there's something very powerful in understanding the role of the anointing in the destruction of the curse. That's why he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse, Christ. Many people have probably heard things like the burden, the, the, the anointing is yoke-destroying power. You heard that? Burden-removing power. We've heard phrases like that, and it comes from places like Isaiah ten twenty-seven. But let's let me let me let me add a little bit different to that. The anointing is curse-destroying power. This is the, the anointing obliterates and destroys. Every manifestation of the curse in any area. So, when the manifestation in a person's life, anointing will destroy that. This is this is this. If we can begin to grasp this more, this is why we are the of Jesus. We are the body of the anointed one, or at least put it this way we are the anointed body of the anointed one. The anointing upon him is upon the body, and we're supposed to be manifesting curse destroying power wherever we go. Is an anointing upon us to do it? In, at some times, that curse-destroying anointing will manifest as a healing anointing because that's where it's needed at that time. At another time, curse-destroying anointing will manifest as setting people free from captivity in another area. But it's all the, that same root cause, and it's destroying. In fact, go to go quickly to. So much I want to say, but. But uh, let me just say this one quickly, and then I want to show you something. Else. Luke four. We, 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 how many? How many of you know Acts ten thirty eight? Now I'm sure we've all heard messages about the anointing at some point. Everyone, anyone here, never heard about the anointing? We've all heard at some point teaching about the anointing. So. It's very easy because we almost know so much about the anointing. And it's very easy because most of us have probably heard Acts 10, 38 and Luke 4 many, many times. It's very easy to almost switch off when these verses are read. But actually, this is so important in the New Testament. The Old Testament pointed to the coming of. The anointed one this is and the Jews in their mind, Israel, we'd say the Jew but Israel, in their mind, what were they looking for in the Messiah? Would it be correct to say they were looking for a deliverer who was then going to set up a natural kingdom but he was but part of that was also to deliver them from the enemies. And they associated the the freedom from the enemy with the idea of the Messiah. Am I wrong? Why did they make that association? I'll show you in a minute why. Because throughout the Old Testament, God connected the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon people from the destruction of captivity. Did it right from Moses did it through Gideon. He did it through David. I'll give you the verses in a minute. Over and over again, God made this connection because he wanted them to recognize the fact, yes, the anointing is a nice feeling. Yes, the anointing can make give you goose pimples. Yes, the anointing can do things. There's a lot of teaching about how the anointing will enable you. I, I have no problem with that. The anointing can enable you to, to teach, can enable you. But you know what? The primary emphasized concept in scripture of the of the of the anointing is the destruction of every manifestation of the curse. It's curse destroying power. God's equipped us with us. So when the curse is in manifestation, whether it's in your life or in someone else's life, what's going to destroy that? There is anointing to destroy the manifestation of the curse in my body and there is anointing to flow through me to destroy the manifestation of the curse in other people around me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I believe that the Spirit of God wants us to be, for our faith to come up more in the area of the fact that I have the anointing of the Spirit of God upon me. And when that curse manifests in any area of my life, Father, I thank you. Your anointing is destroying that. It's destroying that curse. If It's in my body. Father, I thank you. The anointing of God is work. Why did Paul talk so much about the power that is working in me? He wanted us to grasp these concepts. It's not just an enabling of ability. It is captivity, oppression, enemy, curse, destroying power. And the body of Christ is supposed to be walking in the body of the anointed one. It's one of the, one of the big teachings the enemy will attack on this planet is, is, is things about the Holy Spirit, because he doesn't want us walking in this. He will obscure this truth about the Christ. This was central to Jesus' ministry. It wasn't a side issue. Him being the Christ is emphasized throughout the Gospels. Why? Because we carry within us the power to completely obliterate and destroy the curse operating anywhere around us in the world. That, that's what that anointing is. Yes, it can be a healing anointing manifesting in one area. It can be an anointing to, to, to bless people's kids in another area for one person, but actually at all the roots, the same root cause, that anointing is curse-destroying power. Amen? So when you read, Christ has redeemed me from the curse, begin to add in then, begin to say, Father, I thank you that there is an anointing. The anointed one, the, the Christ, the Messiah, and that anointing you equipped him with is destroying the curse in my life. Putting up a stop to that curse. Before we read Luke 4, let me quote for you Acts 10.38 because there's similar things. Acts 10.38, we'll look in Luke 4 in a minute. Acts 10.38 says, how God anointed, there it is, Jesus of Nazareth. See, it doesn't say how God anointed the Christ because that would be kind of putting the same two terms in the same. It said how God anointed Jesus and then that made him the anointed one. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good that's another word for blessing who went about doing good and I've forgotten the rest of the quote and healing all who were oppressed what causes oppression of the enemy the curse that's what Deuteronomy 28 told us. It's the it's the it's, it's the enemy that it's it's the curse that enables the enemy to oppress. We could we could paraphrase Acts 10 38 like this how God anointed Jesus friend with power, who went about blessing people and destroying the curse in their life. I wouldn't be really changing the word by doing that, because doing good is connected with blessing in Scripture and destroying the oppression of the enemy, or sorry, the oppression of the enemy is associated with the curse. Why am I preaching this? Because I want us to make connections. I want us to understand, draw everything under one thing. All of these different things are manifestations of the curse, whether it's happening in 20 different areas, and there's one solution to all of them. Anointing destroys it well the enemy works through the curse yeah what what enables him but when that curse is we get, we'll talk more a bit about this okay it's important to build into us the the, the, the understanding because the enemy works through ignorance for a start so it's important to build an understanding of the truth that Christ has Christ has redeemed me from the curse. People are ignorant, then they don't don't get to walk in many things. Deception ignorance and deception often work together. Either the ignorance who deceives them tells them that they don't have to, but but and then he gets that access through ignorance and deception. So that's why knowing the truth that I am redeemed is, is, is important because there's freedom in that. Okay. So understanding that truth. But then what do you do? So this is why we begin to to walk in the reality of the truth in our lives and even verbally begin to speak out. Thank you, Father God. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. And through your words, you build up a shield around yourself of of protection. But what happens when there are specific areas that the curse has either already manifested or is is, is managing to get in for various areas, for various reasons? What if the curse is able to manifest and get into your life in an area? Then there is anointing to destroy that. There's anointing to destroy that. Okay. But it doesn't come without cause. So. Yeah. This that. As I, as I often say to people, there's only so much you can teach in one teaching session. So yeah. So I do understand where the different things are. But so as we teach, sometimes I remember sometimes I've done teachings and people say, "But you didn't mention this. You didn't mention this." I'm like. I really thank God when I went to school and I learned my two times table that my teacher didn't also mention. My three times, my four times, my five times, my six times, my seven times, my eight times, my nine times, my ten times, my, 10 times, my eleven times, and my twelve times, all in the same lesson. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> we are redeemed from it. We are legally redeemed from it. It has no right to get through, but very often... Because of ignorance or deception, when it has managed to get through, maybe some people haven't walked in some things and haven't got understood the reality of some things yet, or if the curse has managed to get in, you know, through through lower, lowering the the, the the faith shield, whatever. I'm not going to go into reasons right now. There is curse destroying anointing, and this is another big part of what I'm trying to say. Is we're supposed to be walking in this for other, to minister to other people. This is a, a bit of what, what I'm trying to emphasize as well. Recognizing behind whatever it is, coming against us. It's the coming and we have the power to resist. Yeah. And and faith in the anointing, because because Paul talked about that. Your faith may not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And and, and and there's a very important truth in scripture about us building faith and confidence in the power of what that anointing can do. Okay? And begin to say, Father, I thank you because Christ has legally just redeemed me from the curse. I thank you that your anointing is destroying every manifestation of that curse in my life. Because I'm legally free from it, your anointing is manifesting to destroy it. And I thank you that there is a wall of blessing protection around me. Amen? But not only that, I thank you, Father God, that I'm a vessel for your anointing to flow through, to destroy the curse in the lives of the people around me. Okay? Let's just read Luke Luke chapter 4. Um I don't actually have the verse written down here, but it's where it starts. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I think it says in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So there, there's the anointed one, yeah? That anointing is the Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, why? To preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted Proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, do you see? He's mentioning lots of different areas. Let's make the connection. Why? Why? Why would people be captives? Because Deuteronomy twenty-eight indicates when the curse is in operation, you get taken into captivity. Why would people be poor? Poor, is poor? Poverty is a manifestation of well, the fruit's not producing, the vine's not producing. Amen. So actually. When you really look at it, and, and, and is, uh, the, the, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, these really can be identified as a manifestation of the curse. It's not loads of different areas. The curse in operation, yeah? He lists them separately, but what does he say the solution for each, each one is? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to go around destroying the curse in every area. There's an anointing upon me destroying that curse, breaking the power of that curse in different people's lives. Is this important? I believe there's power. There there is powerful power. The enemy wants to overwhelm us thinking we're dealing with lots of battles, but actually I've been equipped. The, the, the Spirit of the Lord, the same Spirit of the Lord that came that was upon Jesus. what happened in Acts 2? I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. That anointing. why? God in his anointing is given one of the is not just given so we can roll around and have a great time and there's certainly I don't have a problem with enjoying the anointing, but there's a purpose behind this. We are called and we are sent, we're equipped with the power to destroy the curse. Now, someone says, Well, I don't understand why the curse is showing up in my life. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna address something here that came up from some of the questions. So well, I don't understand why, if Christ has redeemed me from the curse, why it's showing up in my life. Okay? Now at another time, we can do the teaching on the why, but listen to me for a moment on this. Sometimes the enemy wants you putting a lot of attention into the why. He, want, he wants you chasing, why is it happening? Why is it happening? And actually, that's not always the right approach. Well, why is this happening? Why is it happening? Well, this, the, we could either spend a lot of time looking at why is it happening, or we can just realize it is happening. <laughs> yes, Christ has redeemed me, but does that mean that, 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 does that, mean that the, the curse never ever manifests in the life of another Christian again? How many of you know people who are Christians who are redeemed from the curse, but the curse is still manifesting in areas of their lives? Sickness. That's areas of the curse. Now, we could spend a lot of time, I say, well, why is that happening? Because Christ has redeemed me from the curse. Or we could realize when that curse manifests, there's curse-destroying anointing to destroy it. See, remember when, remember, remember when um, Jesus was, I think it's either John 5 or John 9, it's one of those two. When Jesus was walking and they saw, was it the blind man? Okay, let's go there. It's either John five, uh John five or John 9, but I want you to see something. Let me just check which one it is. It's the one where they said, why is this man who sinned? I think it's John 9. John 5 is the man by the pool of Bethesda, so John 9 must be the one that I'm Yeah, the blind man. <coughs> very often the enemy will get you chasing your tail trying to out why something's happening and he can give you hundreds of reasons and and then you deal with that reason or oh, maybe i've got to fix this area and you get that area fixed and then you know what happened you still don't get a result and then the enemy says well no that's the reason there now let me say this if the Holy Spirit shows you a reason, go with it. But if you're just inventing reasons out of your head, sometimes that's the enemy feeding you a lot of things. A lot of Christians are running around trying to figure out the why because they're focusing very often on the wrong thing. We think asking why is this happening is a good question. Not always. Now, there's a difference between asking God... Why, with a genuine heart of wanting understanding to grow in some areas? Or or sometimes just asking that question for the wrong reasons, and you get focused on the wrong things. Okay? Sometimes if you're wanting to grow in understanding of the word, and you're looking for reasons and answers, the Holy Spirit will help you with that. But sometimes people get so focused on that, that they're getting sidetracked off the truth they need to be focused on. Now, what happens here in John 9? Look at this, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from... Notice verse 2. I understand different translations will say this differently, but the translation... The first three words says, And his disciples asked him. Do you see that? Who is about to ask the question? Now, it's amazing how much theologians focus on the disciples' question more than anything else in this passage. It's, theological books practically have been written all based upon the disciples' question about why people shouldn't get healed and don't get healed. Do you realize by the end of this passage, this man's healed within about five, six, seven verses. So this passage is not teaching how to stay sick for 20 years. It's amazing how people build theologies out of this passage about 20 year chronic conditions stay that way. All based upon the question of who? The disciples. To understand something about the disciples, From where we are today, 2,000 years on from the start of the church, we we hold Peter, John, even Paul. Paul wasn't present with this, but the disciples, we we view them as the the foundational apostles of the church, don't we? So we view them as being, wow, these guys knew how to flow with God. And later on in their lives, yes, they did. But do you realize that we are given an account of, of their training before they knew a lot. In the Gospels, they are not yet the, the, the great apostles of the church. They are trainees. And for a large amount of the time, they're first year Bible school students. They keep putting their foot in it. So just because the disciples ask a question, does that prove that was the right question to ask? No, so why is it theologians focus more on the disciples' question? Almost as if this is not what the about. Do you remember disciples at other times asked the wrong questions? Didn't they come to Jesus after Jesus, in Acts chapter one? Do you realize in Acts chapter one, Jesus is he's about to ascend into heaven, and he's trying to teach them about the Holy Spirit. He says, go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will come upon, you know, and he says, go, go, Terry, in the city of Jerusalem. And he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. And then one of the disciples, not even listening to him talking about the Holy Spirit, says, I, I, I've got a question. Are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? And Jesus is like, I'm trying to talk to you about the Holy Spirit and you're asking that question? Do you see they changing topic? So him trying to talk about one thing because their mind's off on something else. So Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times. And in the very next verse, he goes straight back to talking about the Holy Spirit. Because their minds were all over the place. Don't, don't think their questions are the right questions to ask. Sometimes their questions and the fact that the gospel highlights their questions or puts their questions in is trying to show us that's not the right question to be asking. So what happens here? is in this passage, you see the disciples asking a question. The fact that they ask the question does not prove that was the right question to ask. Their mind was on the wrong thing. And What is their mind on? They're trainees in ministry. They are not yet the great apostles of the church. This is the same bunch where Peter stepped out and then sank, yeah? <laughs> This is the same bunch who couldn't get the the, 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 the man, the the boy with the spirit of, uh, I can't remember all the details, couldn't get him free. They were not yet getting results. They were not getting lives. They were still learning how to get some things functioning. And so they see a blind man. Let's just think about this for a second. I'm not trying to highlight, okay? Is someone, someone in a condition, blind? And what do we do? We're going to sit and have a conversation about them, run in front of them. Oh, so how'd that happen? What do you think about that? The blind person's like, hi, hello. Can someone minister to me? Oh, let's have some theories about why they're blind. Why do you think they're blind? Well, you know, I think this is the reason. Let's let's get out so-and-so's theology book about why we think they're blind. How cold. It's a person with a need. You know what they really need? They don't need to, you to have a theological debate about it right in front of them. They need you to manifest the anointing of God in their life. Get them free. Talk about it afterwards. Figure out all the reasons why. What happens here is the disciples, what are they? His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Is that really the most important thing at that time? Besides, I think of the stupidity of the question. Who sinned? This is the stupidest question you could ever ask. Do you realise it's in the word, but it's, it doesn't necessarily mean the question itself carries is is, is biblical truth. This is quoting the disciple saying something. It's true that the disciple said it, but the statement that they said is not is not God's word on the matter. This is the disciple's word on the matter at a time that they still trainees. Yeah. How long has this man been blind? Since birth. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? When exactly would he have sinned to cause him to be born (laughs) blind? That's the stupidest question you could ever ask. What, did he sin before the sperm and the egg met? When did he have an opportunity to sin so that he was born blind? In another life? Do you believe in reincarnation all of a sudden? This question doesn't make sense. Why? They're focusing on the wrong thing. Now, does Jesus take 16 chapters of the Gospels to give them a big theological treatise on why the man is sick? No, he doesn't. You know what he does? He shifts their focus. He says to them, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's actually the end of the matter. That's all he says about it. You know what he then starts to focus on? But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me. And you'll notice I read it a little bit differently to the punctuation. But there was no punctuation in, in the original Greek language. The punctuation and how the punctuation works is very often at the liberty of the translators. And I, I believe there's a little bit of, of, of the comma in the wrong place here. And many other people believe this as well. Because that statement where he says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, full stop, actually goes with verse four rather than verse three. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying this very quickly. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. End of the matter, full stop. The answer is there quickly. I'm not going to get to it. But then what does he start to talk about? He starts to talk about, let's get the work of God done in this man's life. Let's get the work of God done. I'm here. Let's get it done. And that puts a stop to anyone's idea of, well, maybe, it, maybe it, you know, he had to wait a while. What was the point? The anointed one is here right now. What matters? Manifest that anointing. Get this man free. That's what matters. Jesus is trying to shift their focus of trying to figure out why. And let's just get this thing dealt with. The enemy can get you why, 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 why for years while keeping you bound the whole time. Now, if the Holy Spirit brings to your attention a reason, that's one thing. But very often we go on searches for reasons. And when you go on searches for reasons, the enemy often will accommodate you with 101. And you will spend a whole year chasing that reason. And at the end of it, you're still bound. You spend another whole year chasing that reason. Maybe that's the reason. Okay. If the Holy Spirit highlights a reason, he says, look, there's something in your life that needs. If he says that, then that's up to him. Yeah. He begins to deal with the reason and highlight something. What do I need to focus on? Father, I thank you for the power of the anointing to destroy this manifestation of the curse in my life. I thank you that you have equipped me. You have given me the Holy Spirit. I thank you that the the anointing upon the Christ destroys that anointing. Sorry, (laughs) destroys that manifestation of the curse. That anointing destroys that manifestation of the curse. Put your focus there. And if the spirit of God begins to say, look, such and such and such and such, which he can do, yeah? If he wants to, he does sometimes. But you see, sometimes people say, well, you know, I know God told such and such a person this is why they couldn't get their healing. So maybe that's why I can't get my healing. And we get into the mental realm. And we start teaching a new doctrine that because one person couldn't get their healing like that in one area, that must be the reason for all of us. And then we we, we run it, we start chasing tails again all the time, people remaining bound. Stand. Start off with just rebuilding building yourself up in the truth. Father, I thank you. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. And I thank you that the anointed one on the cross redeemed me from the curse. And I thank you that his anointing is available to me and is working in my life destroying every manifestation of that curse. Does that make sense? Yeah. Otherwise, now the, the Bible can point to reasons and reasons, but it, it, sometimes we get so running after reasons that we we can we can write big theological treaties. We can have huge debates of all the reasons, while leaving a dying world out there all bound still. You can have all the debates we want to. <laughs> This is why I personally think, how cold can someone be to go to a healing meeting looking for a reason to criticize and write a book against someone while these bound people they help? You've got to be really cold to do that. It's got to be something really strong in someone's heart to be able to do something like that. Because actually, we should look at the manifestations of the curse, and that compassion should begin to rise up in us. Something inside of us want to move and say, "Get that person free." Everywhere Jesus went, I told you I'm going to preach a bit longer tonight. It's, uh, I'm going to finish in a minute. But everywhere he went, into the temple, the synagogue, I think it was, he has a woman who's been bowed over with a spirit of infirmity for for years. And the ruler of the synagogue, all he could care less about was the Sabbath day. He's more interested in protecting his Sabbath day. So he's let 18 years go past just to protect his Sabbath day. One contact with Jesus, one contact with that anointing. He doesn't want to get into a big debate about it. He doesn't want to get into a big argument about why, why not. Maybe she should stay. Is it God's will? Is it God's timing? Is it not God's timing? He says, I'm here. Let's manifest some anointing. Get this woman free. That's all that mattered. Not a big theological debate. Do you see what I'm trying to say? The enemy wants uh, the enemy wants us to get so running around in debates about things. And sometimes God just wants us to begin to understand the anointing of God's upon me, that power of the Holy Spirit's upon me. If there's a manifestation of the curse going on in my life, I could either get into a long figure out why, or I could begin to say, Father, I thank you for the power of the anointing to destroy that curse in my life. And I thank you for the power of the anointing flowing through me, destroying the curse and the lives of other people. Everywhere he went, did Jesus dilly-dally and delay and get into long theological arguments? Or did he just walk in and manifest the power of that anointing because he was the Christ to do so? I didn't even get to some of the things. I was going to go through some scriptures. I won't even go, I won't even have a chance to do them. But over and over again in the old covenant, I've got a whole list of these scriptures. I won't do it. I'll read one of them for you. Over and over again, God built up over and over and over again. He built up the truth through the old covenant. He kept connecting the spirit of the Lord coming upon someone and people being set free from from captivity. He kept doing it. Why do you think he did that? so many times because he wanted that association he wanted us to begin to know and understand what is it that destroys the curse when the curse manifests what destroys it that anointing now how do we get the anointing I'm not going to read the scriptures because I want to say this actually I was going to read scripture we'll look at that another time how do we get that anointing well what did I start on today you can either get that anointing from someone else. How many of you know God equips people with anointings? It's not wrong to get it from someone else. If God's put a healing anointing on someone and, and, and that's yoke destroying, curse destroying power, whatever you want to call it, it's wonderful. But is that the only way you can get it? Can you tap into that anointing in your own life by putting your confidence in the power of the word? And begin to realize that the the word brings me into contact. My faith in the word brings me into contact with that anointing. And beginning to understand the anointing is in me. The anointing is on me. The power that I need, I've been equipped with already. That's another way you can come into contact with it. Many Christians don't know that way. I put my faith in the power of the anointing that is in my life. And that's in the word. Yes. Can I also go to a meeting and get that anointing from someone else? Yes. These are two different means that God, should that anointing be flowing through me? Yes. Lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Have confidence that someone says, oh, I'm not too sure if, if I lay hands upon someone, if they're going to recover. It's because our confidence is very often low in that anointing. The reason I'm teaching is we want to begin to build our confidence in the power of that anointing and what it can do. And the purpose of it, it's curse-destroying power. Amen? I understand these questions. Someone might still have some other questions, but you obviously don't get to answer every question in every session. But I just wanted to focus us in on this. When that curse is in manifestation, for whatever reason, it is legally true, it is Bible truth, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. And I can put my faith in that truth. I can begin to say, Father, and I should do. Father, I thank you. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. But what happens if there are cases where that curse is manifesting in areas of my life? Well, continue speaking the word by faith. But also begin to thank you, Father God, that that there's an anointing that will destroy that. There's an anointing that will destroy that. Does that make sense? When the curse is in manifestation in my life, you've equipped me with the anointing that will destroy it. And I thank you, I thank you that the anointing of God is working in my body, destroying every manifestation of the curse. I thank you that the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit is upon me. I don't have to try and find that anointing somewhere. I thank you that because I'm a member of the, the body of the anointed one. I'm equipped with that anointing. I thank you. I can tap into that anointing. Father, I thank you that that anointing is destroying the curse in every area of my life. I thank you if that curse is manifesting in my finances, in my family, in my pets, in my body, in in in, in, in whatever, instead of chasing 59 fires, I thank you, Father God, your anointing is manifesting and destroying that curse from manifesting in my life. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Father God. Father God, I thank you that that it is true. We put our confidence in this.